0: Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff here this morning, and I get the privilege of preaching this morning. And uh, we've been in this series called Resurrection People, living as Easter people all year long for a couple of weeks. And we've been talking about how the resurrection of Jesus should really shape and influence our whole entire life. That it's not just something that we should celebrate one day a year on Easter, but it's a reality that we should live out each and every day with this hope that out of death, Life can emerge. That's what resurrection is all about this hope that out of death, life can emerge. So, this morning we're going to be talking about values, and we're going to look at how the values that we hold shape the decisions that we make on a daily basis. So, to demonstrate this, I thought it'd be fun for us to start with a game of verses. And it's very easy to participate in. All you have to do is either hold up a one or a two, depending on which one you value. So, on the screen, the left side is going to be one and your right side will be two and if you value one over the over the other just hold up whichever number you value. Does that make sense? Easy enough? Alright, so we'll get started. The first one, do you value an iPhone or an Android? Which one? iPhone? Neither? Okay. It's about a 50-50 split. Alright. Scott's holding it proud. iPhone? Okay. Next one? chocolate versus vanilla chocolate versus vanilla some twos all right that's about an even split okay we can mix them together and just have swirl i guess okay now do you prefer the beach or the mountains beach or the mountains all right herb mountains yes very good all right no a lot of more mountains than beaches i'm i'm impressed split right there oh man okay next one Do you prefer time with people or time alone so are you more extroverted or introverted pretty even split all right some people are like I don't really know I like both okay and then this last one this is going to be kind of hard for for some of you but do you prefer baseball or football baseball or football okay More football fans, but I want you to know that you're actually all wrong. The answer is mountain biking. It's always mountain biking, man. Yes. All right. So that was fun. Thank you for participating in that game of verses. But, you know, I'm going to venture to guess that you chose one of those over the other because you hold a, a certain value because either a person, an event, or some experience has influenced you or marked you. In some way. So let's say you grew up with parents who really instilled in you a value of reliability. They wanted you to choose things that were reliable. So maybe in the past you owned an iPhone, but that iPhone blew up on you while it was charging. And because you value reliability, you switched over to the iPhone and, and, and now you value that. Okay, or maybe um, the last time you went to the mountains. Uh, your husband said, hey, we're just going to go on like a one-mile hike. It's going to be really relaxing. And it turned out that you got eaten alive by bugs, and it was a 10-mile hike, and you got lost, and it was not relaxing. So now you, because you value relaxation, choose the mountains over the beach where you can just go sit and enjoy the sunshine and not have to worry about getting lost or getting eaten by bugs. You know, if we were to define values, we could say that they are simply principles or standards in your life that you consider important, and those things that we consider important shape the decisions that we make on a day to day basis, and as Jesus followers, our values should be marked by the resurrection of Jesus. The things that we hold important that we consider important those should be marked by the resurrection of Jesus. when we encounter Jesus, our life should begin to turn upside down, our world should begin. To change and the values that we hold should also change. You know, we see this in the people like John Newton. Many of you guys know the story of John Newton. He was the guy that wrote probably the most famous hymn of all time, Amazing Grace. And in his early life, he made his living in the slave trade business. He bought, sold, and transported slaves as though they were just regular cargo, he had very little value on human life. Yet after he encountered Jesus, his world began to change, his values began to change, and eventually he came to the point where he made it his life mission to abolish the slave trade. And he teamed up with a guy named William Wilberforce, and they set out to do that. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. Many of you guys know his story. Before encountering Jesus, he hated the church. His mission in life was to destroy the church. He didn't like Christians. He wanted to destroy Christians. Yet after he encountered Jesus, his world began to change. His values began to change. And he went from being somebody who destroyed churches to being one of the most successful, if not the most successful, church planter in all of history. From destroying churches to building churches. Why? Because his values changed. I think if you look back in your life, you would say, yeah, before I met Jesus to where I am now, some of my values have changed. And we say, well, why is this? And it's because this is our big idea for today, because resurrection power transforms our values. Resurrection power transforms our values. When the resurrecting power of God and our lives intersect, again, something happens when we encounter the power, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, when when our lives encounter that, things begin to change, including our values. So this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And we're going to uh, read about a story that happened within the early church that very easily could have split the church. And we're going to see that the apostles, the leaders of the church at this time, they had to make some choices. They had to make some decisions. And those choices that they made were based on the values that they held. And the values that they held were shaped by the resurrection of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, flip open to Acts chapter 6, or you can just follow on the screen or follow it on your phone. But starting in verse 1, Luke, the author, records for us. He says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." So that's a text that we're going to be looking at this morning. And I love the way that Luke sets it up because he starts in verse 1 with a verse that talks about the church expanding. He said that the, the disciples were, uh, they're, they're multiplying. And then again in verse 7, he ends with the disciples increasing in number and multiplying. And sandwiched in between those two verses is a threat to the church, this problem that arises and then it's the story of how the church overcame that threat. And we're going to see the decisions and the choices that, this, that the disciples made to overcome that threat. And again, those were based on their values. So in verse 1, this is, again, the church was expanding, but here's the problem that's introduced to the church. This complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So just so we're all on the same page, the Hellenists, they were the Greek-speaking Jews. Their primary language was Greek. And they grew in and up outside, primarily outside of, of Palestine. So they had a certain cultural upbringing, and they spoke a certain language. So there's one group. Then we have the other group, the Hebrews. Their primary language was Aramaic. And they grew in and up around Palestine, primarily. So they had a certain cultural upbringing, and they spoke a certain language. So here we have these two different groups speaking different languages with different cultural upbringings, and some of the people, some of the widows, began to slip through the cracks. So the, the Hellenists, they say, hey, why aren't our widows being treated the same as the Hebrew widows? So that's the problem that, that, that uh, is brought up here in this verse. And it's important for us to understand that within this daily distribution, every day these people would come and they would get their needs met. To get a glimpse of what that looked like, we need to go back a couple of chapters to chapter 4. And we're going to read, Luke kind of walks us up to the window of how the early church functioned. We can kind of peer in there and get a glimpse of, of uh, what really went on in that early church. So in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, Luke says, Now in the full number of those who believed were of one heart, as any had need. Whoa. My fault, sorry. All right, so here, it, it, here's a glimpse of how the early church worked. They were a unified body of believers, which is exactly what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer, right? That we would be unified, that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. Why? So that the world might believe in him, And these early believers, they were functioning as that unified unit that Jesus was praying for. And they realized the stuff that we, quote, own really isn't ours. It's God's. We're just stewards of it. And if we can use these things to meet the needs of the people around us, we're going to do it. So they ended up selling homes and land and cattle and all of these things in order to meet the needs of the people around them. So the widows were the recipients of of these people's sacrificial giving. And here, because of this passage and the passage we just read in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, we see that resurrection people value people over possessions. They put people on a higher pedestal than they do their possessions. People are more important to them than their stuff. Now, I think I only have to say probably two words to convince us that we live in a culture that really uh, oftentimes puts possessions at a higher value than people. Those two words, Black Friday. Okay? This is a very timid picture of what happens on Black Friday sometimes. Um, You know, I found a website that's actually dedicated to just keeping track of the number of deaths and injuries that happen on Black Friday. The number of injuries is, I can't even remember the number, I think it's in the hundreds or maybe even the thousands, but the number of deaths since 2006, just because of Black Friday sales, is up to 10. 10 people have, and and all the deaths occur because people have either been shot or trampled to death. I mean, that's crazy that we would step on people until they die in pursuit of the new Samsung TV or MacBook Pro or whatever hot item was that year. We live in a culture that puts possessions on a pedestal, oftentimes way over people, so much so that we literally step over them in order to just get more of something that oftentimes we don't even need. So just a tangent here real quick. I'm not saying it's bad to go shopping on Black Friday. Just don't punch anybody or run over anybody. It's not bad to buy a new TV or to own a new couch or whatever. I'm not saying that stuff is bad. But what we need to do as followers of Jesus is really guard our heart from allowing the things that we own to become more important than the people around us. As resurrection people, as people who have placed our faith in Jesus. We should value the people around us more so than the possessions that we own. And when we start to notice ourselves valuing the possessions that we own over the people around us, we should have, a, as pa- Pastor Tom calls it, a come-to-Jesus moment and say, Lord, would you resurrect my values? Would you use that same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead to change my life so that I see the people around me as more important than the stuff around me? Resurrection, people value people over possessions. And it's very humbling to be on the receiving end of somebody else's sacrificial giving. Katie and I were able to experience this a little bit when we adopted Xander and Landon. I love those little guys, man. They're so cute. That was on Landon's adoption day right there. But, um, you know, we, we got a little taste of what it was like to have brothers and sisters put us above possessions. Because when we walked into this adoption process, we knew it was going to be costly. We didn't know how costly. And when all was said and done, between the two adoptions, it has been costing us over like $30,000 to adopt um, these two. They're totally worth it. That's not like a complaint at all. But, um, you know, it was a, it's a costly endeavor. And many of you guys knew the financial burden that, that we were placed in. And you came alongside of us And you sacrificially gave in order to meet a need in our lives. And then we found out afterwards that many of you guys actually sold some of your items in order to to help us out. And it wasn't like you just had two of something and you didn't need one, so you sold it. These were things that you treasured, that you valued, and you were willing to give those up in order to help us out. And I can't even put into words how that has made Katie and I feel. That's a story that we're going to be able to tell these two guys when they get a little bit older and when they can understand. That man, you had people loving you before they even knew you. They were willing to give up their stuff in order to allow you to enter into our family. That was huge to be on the receiving end of their sacrificial giving. I'm sure the widows felt so honored to know that, hey, the people around me, they're they're helping to meet my needs because I can't meet those needs. You know Francis Chan had this quote that said I believe God wants us to love others so much that we go to extremes to help them and I agree with that because isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? I mean there was a debt that we could never afford to pay and Jesus looking at us in our need said I can pay that for you. He went to extremes to love us, to pay our debt. But he didn't go out and sell something in order to get enough money to pay for our debt because no amount of money could pay for the kind of debt that we were in. So he said, I'll give my life in order to pay that debt. That's how much Jesus values people. And those of us who are on the receiving end of his sacrifice should really seek to understand just how much he values people and then live in light of the fact that the people around us are far more valuable than the stuff around us. Resurrection people value p- people over possessions. So going back to our text, you know, we've, we've kind of established the church was growing, that this problem was introduced, that some of the widows were getting overlooked and uh, beginning to be, uh, slip through the cracks. So what did the apostles do? They had to make a choice. Well, we see what they did here in chapter, or in verse 3 of chapter 6. The disciples say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint this duty. So they they tell the people, Go gather seven men who have a good reputation, who are full of the Spirit, who are wise enough to take on this ministry. They, They gather these seven men together. Then the apostles lay hands on them and they pray for them and they commission them into this ministry. So we see that the solution to the problem wasn't to split the church and have the first southern Hellenist church of Jerusalem and then the first southern Hebrew church of Jerusalem and just say, hey, function as your own little churches and do your own little thing. See, that the solution was not to split the church. The solution was to depend on other people's callings and gifts and abilities within the church. So it's here that we see that resurrection people value dependence over independence. They value dependence over independence because again, the solution was to depend on other people. The the apostles realized, hey, we can't do it all. We need to lean on some of the other people. This is one of the values that they held. Now, again, we live in a culture that, that places a high value on independence. This is gonna be a flashback for some of us millennials, but do you guys remember the, the music group Destiny's Child? Anybody? Some, a couple giggles. Okay, well, they came out with this song called Independent Woman. I think it was for a movie like Charlie's Angels or something like that. But within, within that song, I mean, it's chock full of lyrics like this, but this is just one of them. Depend on no one else to get what you want. I mean, this whole song is just talking about how you have to be the strong, independent woman, how you can't rely on other people, all the rings that I bought, I bought them, the house that I live in, I bought it, right? And they just go on. This is a whole song about how you really need to be independent. And then even Christians will say things like, I don't need to go to church. I am the church. And what we have to realize is that the core of that statement is an egocentric value that says, I can do it on my own. I'm strong enough. I don't need other people. I can be independent. Oftentimes, we value independence over dependence, and it should be the other way around. I want to do another quick little tangent here because I realize that some people sitting in this room or listening online have have been let down because they've tried to depend on people, and those people have hurt them, and they're wounded. They've tried to lean on others, but every time they do, the, the other people let them fall, and they're just kind of tired of it. I get that. I understand that. I understand that oftentimes it's easier to just be by ourselves than it is to be with people. And I'm not trying to just gloss over those hurts and those pains, but we have to get to the point where we realize that living in fear of being hurt by people is not healthy. That's a, that's a poisonous fear that far too often we cling onto when really we need to let go of that fear and instead embrace forgiveness because yes, there is the potential for getting hurt by people when we depend on them. It's not a matter of if, but when, because we're all broken people. I've let people down and people have let me down. And, and we have to get to the place where instead of holding grudges, we, we, we extend forgiveness. And yes, that takes time and it's a process. And I'm not just saying just get over it it's a process, but learning to embrace forgiveness over living in in light of that that fear of just being hurt is a much healthier place to be. So that's my tangent. We'll get back to uh, the scripture. You know, oftentimes, again, independence is equated with strength, and dependence is equated with weakness, but that's not how the kingdom of God operates. God set up a system in which we first must depend on Him, because apart from him, we are nothing and we can do nothing. But within that system, we also must depend on each other. In 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, the scriptures liken the church, us, to a body. And Paul says, the body's made up of all these different members. You know, we have ears and we have eyes and we have mouths. And we have all of these things that need to depend on one another if we're to function healthy if we're to function properly. And it's the same thing with the church. If we're to function properly as the church, we need to depend on and rely on each other. And that's why we make community groups such a big deal here at Cornerstone. That's why we almost on a weekly basis bring this topic up, this idea of getting plugged in to a community group. Because we understand that as important as it is to gather on Sunday mornings, we, we get this, this is very important what you guys are doing. I applaud you for being here. I realize that you could be anywhere else, but you chose to be here this morning. That is so important. But if we want to have a healthy, thriving relationship with Jesus and with other people, uh, we need to do a little bit more than just one hour a week. Some of us, it's only like one hour a month. And community groups is a great place for us to experience what it looks like to depend on one another. It's a great place for us to learn how to depend on one another. You know, I would say that if it weren't for our community group, Katie, my wife Katie and I are are in a community group. If it weren't for that community group, we would not have been able to bring Xander and Landon home. We were dependent on them. If it weren't for you guys, the body of believers to come around, uh, to come alongside of us and, and help us, we would not have been able to bring them home. Being in a community group has taught us what it looks like to lean on other people and to depend on other people. That's why we value community groups here. And if you're not connected to one, I would highly encourage you to do so. You can stop by the community group table in the lobby on your way out. On that connection card, you can fill that out. And the offering bucket I know has already passed, but on any other Sunday, you can put that in the offering bucket. Today, when you leave, you can drop that off. You can talk with Pastor Frank. He was the one that led communion. He's a community group's pastor. There's many ways for you guys to get connected. You can ask your friend who maybe invited you here today. Say, what is this thing about community groups? Are you part of one? Can we join one together maybe? But community groups are, again, just a great place for us to learn how to value people over, I'm sorry, value dependence over independence. Because that's what these apostles did. They realized, you know what, we need to lean on the gifts and the callings of the other people. And that leads us into our next point in that resurrection people value calling over control. Notice what the apostles say in verse 2, because they value calling over control. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they gather everybody together, and they kind of give this speech, and they're like, guys, it's not right for us to give up our calling, in order to serve tables. Rather, we will, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The, the, you know, the, this problem that arose in the church could have very easily become a power trip opportunity for the apostles. Because they said, okay, well, here's this problem. We, we, you guys brought it to our attention. We're the leaders of this church, so we're going to handle it. We're going to make sure that this gets fixed and that it gets fixed the right way. Have you guys ever worked for a boss like that? I know I have, and it's miserable. Those, they're kind of like control freaks, and they just want their hands in everything. That's not how the apostles were. They weren't control freaks. No, instead, they, they tell the people, Hey, you guys, you gather seven men who have a good reputation, who are full of the Spirit, who are wise enough to handle this. We will pray for them. We will empower them to take on this ministry. They valued their calling and the callings of other people above their control. So what did they do? They delegated some of their control in order to stay devoted to their calling. They delegated in order to stay devoted. So they, they empowered these seven Grecian Jews to take on this ministry because they understood that they were better equipped, that they were called to this ministry more so than they were. And when they said, it's not right for us to give up, the preaching of the word, to serve tables, they weren't being arrogant and they didn't think that they were above serving people. They just understood that even good things can distract us from God things. Even good things in our life can pull us away and distract us from the things that God is calling us to do. And the apostles understood that it would not be good for them to give up their calling in order to take on another ministry. So as a result of them not giving up their calling, look at how God blesses their decision in verse 7. Because they did not give up the preaching of the word of God, the word of God continued to increase, and and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They valued their calling over control. And I think a great example of what this looks like to value people's callings over their control comes from a church down in Phoenix, a Shiloh Community Church. If you guys know Pastor Tom, he preaches here on occasion. He served here uh, the interim period before uh, Scott came on board. But Shiloh Church was pastored by Tom for a number of years. And when Tom retired, a man by the name of Eric stepped in as a lead pastor. And he was leading the church for about four years And then he finally got to the place where he realized, this is not my calling. This is not the right seat for me to be on. He realized, I'm actually supposed to be like the number two guy. I'm supposed to be a little bit more behind the scenes. So he stepped back and he relinquished his control, which look, I I hope this doesn't come off wrong, but as a man, it's hard for us to admit defeat oftentimes for many of us. It's hard for us to say, you know what, I can't do this. Somebody else has to come in and do it. That's a very humbling thing to do, and that's exactly what he did. He let go of his control in order to pursue his calling, and he wasn't only concerned about his calling, he was concerned about the calling of the person who he knew should be in his spot. He didn't want to rob somebody else of his calling. The apostles didn't want to rob those seven men of their calling, so they let go of their control in order to pursue their calling. Now, I realize that I'm touching on a subject that is often brought up in church, right? What is my calling? Which is just a churchy way of saying, what am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I supposed to go? What is my purpose? Now I don't have another 30 minutes to to preach on this, so I'm just gonna say two things in hopes that this will help the person who's sitting here today wondering, well, what is my calling? You're talking about this. The apostles knew what theirs was, but what is mine? So if you're wondering what that is, I'm just going to say these two things. And the first is that Pastor Scott actually just started a new five-week blog series called Where Our Calling Begins. And just so you know, he did not pay me to say this, He did not ask me to say this. It's just within God's timing, he started writing this blog as I was preparing the message. And when I read the blog, I said, thanks, Scott. You just shaved 10 minutes off my sermon. That's a huge help. All right. But I, you know, I really believe in this because I read the first one and it's all about, you know, finding your calling within pain. And he's going to write about this for five weeks. So you can go to scottsavagelive.com and follow that, that blog series. If you're wondering, hey, what is my calling? What am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I supposed to go? So that's the first thing. The second thing that I'm going to say is that for all of us, our primary purpose in life is to glorify God. And what I mean by that is that in every area of our life, in everything that we do, we are to acknowledge Him for who He is, for His greatness, for His splendor, for His majesty, and then to worship Him and to honor Him and to give Him praise for who He is and to point people to Him. Now, what that looks like for each individual person is going to be a little bit different. Because for some people, he's going to call you to be a school teacher. The way that he's gifted you, the talents that he's given you, he's going to call you to be a school teacher and to bring him glory within the school system. For some of you, he might call you to be a professional mountain biker, or, um, I don't know, a waiter, or a cook, or a librarian, or an, an attorney, or whatever that might be. And then within that realm, He's calling us to bring him glory. So again, I don't know exactly what that looks like for you, but what I do know is that God made each of us unique. Your heart is unique, so you're going to be burdened with things that other people are oblivious to. Your eyes are unique, so you're going to see brokenness in areas where other people have never even looked before. And your calling and your talents and your gifts are unique, so God can use you and will use you to meet the needs of people around you when you notice that area of brokenness or when your heart is burdened with whatever it might be. So, again, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I do know that he's calling us all to bring glory to him. And just so you know, it's not like somebody has a better calling than another person. The early church needed the apostles' preaching just as much as they needed these seven men to take on the justice ministry of meeting the needs of the widows. So so don't get concerned about like, oh, that person's calling is better than mine. It's not about that. So in these last couple I only have about three minutes left, so in these last couple of minutes I want to give you guys some next steps. These are ways that we can apply this message in our life. And if the Spirit's leading you to apply this in a different way than what I talk about, then run with it and then share it in your community groups. But these are just three things that I've personally done that have helped me internalize this message so that it's not just me giving a message on a Sunday morning, but that it's actually, I'm living it out. So the first one is to prayerfully surrender your possessions. Now, I don't mean go home and start selling all of your stuff. What I mean, although God might call you to do some of that, I don't know, but what I mean by that is to, when you go home today, just come before God and just say, Lord, I I recognize that all that I, quote, own is first and foremost yours, I'm just a steward of it. I don't own it. So I'm I'm letting go of control of it. And what I would recommend you doing, this is what I did. It sounds cheesy, but it helped me. Uh, I walked around my house and in each room I just stopped and I took a visual inventory of the stuff that I owned. And I just looked at it and I said, God, this stuff that I'm looking at is not mine. It's yours. If any of this can be used to meet a need of somebody around me, would you show that to me? Because I want to value people over my possessions. Now I have to tell you, when I got to the room that that had my mountain bikes, I struggled, and it, and it reminded me of of the sermon that we talked about. You know, the the idol series that we went through, and I had to stop and say, okay, my mountain bike isn't going to give me the things that God can give me. Yes, mountain bikes are fun and they're good, but ultimately, God, if 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 you wanted me to let go of this. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle. I'm going to kind of like, you know, slowly let go of it. But ultimately, it's yours. I recognize that. And if any of this stuff can be used to meet the needs of people around me, would you just show that to me? So that's the first thing that we can do is prayerfully surrender our possessions. The next thing is to write a sticky note thank you to three people on whom you depend. It doesn't have to be a sticky note. It could be a text message or a regular, you know, card. But I like sticky notes because you can stick them in random places and surprise people in the refrigerator or whatever. But, um, you know, it, it could be a boss. It could be an employee, a spouse, um, a sibling. Just somebody that, that you depend on. You depend on their, ve- on their uh, skills and on their abilities. Just write them a quick thank you. Because one, that's going to affirm them and it's going to encourage them. And two, it's going to remind us, I mean, I can't do life alone. I need to lean on other people. So just acknowledge that and thank them. And then the last thing... Is to embrace your calling, even if that means letting go of some control like it did for Eric. For some of us to embrace our calling means that we just need to start taking the, the, the first couple of steps in understanding what our calling is. So like I mentioned, you can follow Pastor Scott's blog and read that along with scripture. You can also check out this book by Erwin McManus, Chasing Daylight. This is a good resource. If you're a person that's sitting here that's like, man, what, what is my calling? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? I feel like I'm kind of wasting my life. Check out this book, read through it. It's a great read. And I think, I believe it'll help you start to understand what your calling is. So that, that's that's what embracing your calling is gonna look like for some of you. For others, it might look like finally taking that step of faith and and begin serving in that area that you know God is calling you to but that you've been putting off for a while because of your busy schedule or apathy or whatever that might look like. For, for some people, it's just like, okay, God, I know you're calling me to this area. I'm finally just going to step in and begin serving where you're calling me. Because we cannot forget that life is extremely short. We can't waste it. Scott said earlier, you know, we think we have time until we don't. And I know personally, I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and be like, man, I wasted a lot of my life on stuff that doesn't even matter. As resurrection people, people who have placed our faith in Jesus, our values should begin to change. So we should value people over possessions, dependence over independence, and our calling over our control. Let's never forget that our life is short. God can use us in incredible, powerful ways to meet the needs of people Around us. So let's keep that at the forefront of our hearts and our minds as we leave here today. Would you guys close with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for first loving us. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the grace that you extend to us on a daily basis and the mercy that we receive from you. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work in my life and in the life of the people here at Cornerstone so that when we leave this building, we're changed and we're more in love with you and we have a desire to seek out the places that you're calling us to, that you would lay on our hearts the people in our lives that that we can come alongside and, and help them meet their needs because I truly believe that when we meet those needs, it's a tangible expression of the gospel, and it's, it's an opportunity for us to show them the love that you have for them. So Lord, break our hearts for the things that break your hearts. And God, I pray that you would use us in incredible ways, again, to meet the needs of the people here in Prescott and around the world. And Lord, if our values are out of line with your values, I pray that that same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead would transform us. So much so that the things that we once considered important become insignificant and the things that we once considered insignificant become our life's mission, just like it was for John Newton and just like it was for the Apostle Paul. Because Lord, our ultimate desire is to bring you glory in everything that we do. Jesus, we love you and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.